Welcome to Dead Wax 78s. I'm your host, Sean, and this is a podcast where we're going to talk about, you know, everything phonograph and old-timey music, 78s to be exact. We're going to talk about dead artists, and we're going to talk about lost tunes. The show today is called Francis Densmore, Songcatcher. Growing up in the Mississippi River town of Red Wing, Minnesota, Francis Densmore claimed that from an early age, I heard an Indian drum. She recalled hearing the drumming of her Dakota neighbors as a child and reflected, others have heard the same drum, and that sound was soon forgotten, but I have followed it all these years. Her childhood experiences eventually led to a long career as an ethnomusicologist of Native American music. From her first forays into Indian song in the 1890s to her eventual employment as a researcher for the Smithsonian's Bureau of American Ethnography from 1907 to 1933, Densmore devoted her life to the study of Native American music. Here's side one. is said to be Sitting Bull's favorite song, from around 1911. <laughs> She traveled across North America, often accompanied by her sister, collecting and transcribing music of various tribes from the Pacific Northwest to the Florida Everglades. She was incredibly prolific, creating over 2,500 vinyl recordings, 200 articles, and 20 books over the course of her career. Her writings and recordings were intended to preserve various indigenous music and culture during a time when white settlers were moving into indigenous lands and the government policy aimed to erase indigenous culture and encourage the adoption of Western customs. 
1950 release of her album, Chippewa Music, along with the subsequent albums from other groups, served as a culmination of her life's work. Densmore intended the collection of songs to make available to students and scholars the inaccessible and extraordinary valuable original recordings. As she noted in her pamphlet accompanying the album, she envisioned the album as a complement to her published studies, Chippewa Music and Chippewa Music 2, accordingly. The album featured 30 songs from 16 singers and covered six genres of music, dream songs, war songs, miscellaneous songs, songs used in the treatment of the sick, and love songs. The tribe provided context for the singing of the songs, descriptions of their performances, biographies of the singers, and details on the recording process. Frances Densmore recorded mainly from 1907 to 1911. Prior to this fieldwork, she worked as a classically trained musician in the Twin Cities and was a lecturer for women's music clubs. The publication of Alice Fletcher's Omaha Indian Music inspired Densmore to add the music of the American Indians to her lecture circuit repertoire. Here's side two, Songs of the Chippewa. Kimi One, One Wind. To the World's Fair in St. Louis in 1904 further propelled her to begin research of her own. An article on Filipino music at the fair paved the way for a $150 research fund from the Bureau of American Ethnology in 1907. Densmore bought a new phonograph with these funds to record songs on wax cylinders. Seen as cutting-edge technology at the time, the phonograph had the additional benefit of being portable 
and useful on the remote reservations Densmore visited. Although the short recording time of the cylinder and the need to constantly monitor the equipment limited her efforts to capture songs in their original context. Armed with her phonograph, Densmore and her sister Margaret journeyed to reservations in Minnesota, including White Earth, Red Lake, and other Ojibwe communities. She collaborated with mixed-blood tribal members, often other women, and interpreters to locate and record the oldest songs from the oldest singers, generally men. At home, she transcribed the songs into Western musical notation, a problematic approach, but few alternate models of study existed in these early days of what came to be known as ethnomusicology. Her annual reports to the Bureau on her research formed the basis of her two publications on the topic. Densmore engaged with Ojibwe communities even as she expanded her study of Native American music to their Lakota neighbors in the Dakotas in 1910s and to numerous other Indian groups into the 1950s. She collected Ojibwe material, culture for museums, studied the ethnobotany of the tribe and published Chippewa Customs in 1929. As she saw her career drawing to a close in the 1940s, Densmore labored to establish an archive of her work. She donated manuscripts, photographs, correspondence, and items of Native American material culture to several organizations most significantly the archive of folk songs at the Library of Congress, who received over 2,000 wax cylinders from her decades of fieldwork. Densmore worked closely with AFS staff on the duplication project to preserve her recordings on more modern media and to preserve her archive for future scholars. Her album, Songs of the Chippewa, in many ways became a testament to her life's work. Densmore labored to ensure the songs selected for it represented the best recordings available, that the album validated her research methods, and that allowing musicians and other scholars to hear the actual songs would generate new appreciation for Indian music. Here's side three. The Healing Song. In the study of Densmore's Chippewa music, Thomas J. Venom, Jr. remarks the field recordings unique to their time in number, variety, and excellence of recording quality are Densmore's greatest contribution. Venom and other ethnomusicologists have raised questions about her methods and the Eurocentric assumptions she brought to the study of Native American music. 
Still, the publications of the album serve as a repository for cultural products that no longer persist in Ojibwe communities. Upon the completion of Songs of the Chippewa in 1950, Densmore expressed some interest in sharing the collection with descendants of the original singers, but seemed to have little interest in their contemporary musical culture. Her focus on preserving the oldest songs and seeing these old songs as the only authentic expression of Native music led to an uneasy relationship with tribal members at the time. Additionally, her willingness to record sacred songs, especially from Ojibwe secret societies, violated Ojibwe customs and practices. Present-day Ojibwe communities have raised questions about Densmore's method and motives. Marcy R. Rendon's play, Song Catcher, which examines the impact Densmore's collection had on Ojibwe communities in the past and present, exemplifies the conflicting desires to recover musical custom lost to the impact of colonialism and to reject her work for its problematic nature. The Densmore album Songs of the Chippewa remains a significant album today for many reasons. As Densmore hoped, it provided modern listeners with the actual sounds of Ojibwe singing from the early 20th century, capturing songs that emerged from an even earlier time. Her assumptions and motives for this collection reveal the ethnocentrism of non-Native scholars who benefited from the study of the music while paying little attention to the struggles of the people whose music they studied. It further reminds us of the struggle of modern Native Americans to resist and recover their cultures after centuries of American colonialism. These are excerpts from Michelle Wick Patterson, Native American History at Mount St. Mary's University in Maryland. Here's side four, An Appeal to the Bear, played by Stephen Gigante and Mike Becker.
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you come back to listen to new shows. I'm Sean, your host, and I'll catch you on the flip side.